Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right. So Sunday morning, uh, we talked about alignment and how when the Lord accelerates us, that brings alignment into our life. And we're just going to talk more about alignment and how that deals uh, with your own personal transformation and obviously how uh, corporately, as we are transformed as individuals, how that corporate transformation can truly uh, bring revival uh, to this place and can benefit so many more people that walk into uh, these walls. The, uh, the prayer focus for, for Sunday was to send your revival fire into my life and purify me from every single habit, vice, and stronghold. So I don't know if you're going through uh, the prayer focuses, if you're going through the verses, but if you're not, just pick up tomorrow. Uh, we're entering into the third value, which is empower. And the, I think there's like eight, uh, eight or nine days just on uh, that one value. But this one was under transformation. Uh, and I mean, if we pray that from our heart, then we're not, we're asking that there's nothing, nothing left unturned. Like we're at, that prayer is actually like I'm bearing my entire heart to you and I'm giving you a peek into every avenue, every closet uh, within my heart to actually purify me from every single sinful habit, every single vice, something that has a hold on you or a stronghold. And I think if we do pray that vulnerably, if we pray that authentically, then the Lord will show up. I think it's in times like a frustration if we just pray, why don't you just take this away from me? That's like a prayer of frustration where uh, you're just like sick of having it, but you're not really ready to get rid of it. Where this is like a prayer of confession and agreement that yes, he is the one that can purify. You don't have to feel like getting rid of it. You just have to admit that he's the one that can come and purify it. There's never going to be like a good day to, to just get rid of stuff that you've been stuck in for years. So why not today just be the day, right? Just ask the Lord. Say, just remove all of this stuff, show it to my heart. And it is, it's not like, and I, I, I would admit too, I probably want that, like that real quick, easy deliverance moment. Like it's just gone. You you hear of people that were like severe addicts, like just completely delivered, never had another, you know? And uh, a lot of times it's like, well, actually the Holy Spirit's going to show it to you first. So you can actually confess, admit that it is a part of you and that that is nowhere near your identity and who we were created to be. And then you have the actual, you have the opportunity to repent of it. So now you're like partnering with God where you're saying, okay, I'm thinking the way you're thinking about what I'm doing right now. And I know that my identity is so much higher. So because I'm repenting of it, now I'm thinking according to your word. Now I'm turning away from that. Now he has something to like partner with because you've let him peek into your heart and now you're actually walking in his direction. So we touched on that uh, this this past Sunday. And again, we want to talk about it uh, tonight as well. The entire reason we're, we're clearing our heart is not just so we can do a bunch of stuff and not just so we can accelerate and advance and get promotions and do all this stuff. It's really so our heart can be connected to his heart. You know, so we can have intimacy with him. We can have a healthy a relationship with him. And then we can walk in the anointing that we talked about uh, this past, uh, the past Wednesday that the Lord does have for us. 
Like I said before, I believe that this is personal and I also believe that it is corporate. I believe that there's something about a corporate repentance. I believe there's something about getting together as a church family. And when I say corporate, like that could be three or four of you. That could be a small group. When we talk church, I think a lot of times we think about like this big room. But if you were in China or if you were in another country, you know, where it's not legal uh, to worship, then your church would be a basement maybe with 20 or 30 people. And a really big church might be 60 people packed into a really sweaty basement with no instruments, no seats or anything like that. So when I talk about corporate, it's the body of Christ coming together in any size or form saying, we are repenting. We want you to purify us as a whole. So when we reveal our hearts to them as individuals, and we can also do that corporately and then see uh, the Lord move. It's one of the values uh, at Central is transformation. In fact, in our mission and values booklet, this is what is under transformation. It says, God desires to transform our whole person into the image of Jesus. We experience true transformation by encountering God's presence, his love, and his power in our personal lives, along with ongoing worship, ongoing discipleship, and ongoing relationships. In fact, today was about relationship. So you're like, why is relationships? Why isn't that under family? Why is that you know, under transformation? It's because when you actually let somebody speak into your life, they will be the voice of the Lord for you many times. They'll be the ones that can correct you, rebuke you. They're the ones that can lift you up and say like, come on, you're, not, you're acting like so far below what the Lord's called you to do. So it's, accountability is not just pointing out wrong things. It's pointing out the right things in your life to get you back to the standard that God's called you for. So relationships, authentic relationships are huge in your transformation process. So it's, it goes on to say, by the laying down of our sinful nature, which was obviously nailed to the cross in selfish ways, we are made completely new and free in Christ by following him daily. Now, a Pentecostal spirit-filled church, it, we might be prone to talk about transformation and we think it's like a moment in time here at the altar. Like they encountered God's power and they were shaking and there was the prophetic words and they fell out, like all this stuff. It happens. It's happened to me. I've been changed and transformed. But true ongoing transformations can start there, but it's actually an ongoing discipleship. It's learning his word from the head to the heart and then actually following him daily, right? So when Jesus said, pick up your cross and what? Encounter me one time and then go off and do your own thing and think that that, that you know, is gonna be lasting. No, Just follow him daily. Follow after him daily, which means become more and more like him. So that, you know, it's central. That's the transformation. We absolutely want people to encounter the Lord at the altar, whether it's here at the rock tonight, you know, with youth or in the super church room. We want those, those, those one-time events, but we are committed to finding a solution to discipleship uh, that much of America just doesn't, you know, doesn't have anymore. It's just long-term, it's life-giving, uh, it's invigorating to your spirit, and that we can actually see real, lasting transformation. Jesus commanded us to bear fruit, fruit that would last or fruit that would remain. So that means one, one, one time isn't going to do it. We have, to, we have to understand and be constantly taught the word, be in those relationships, have an attitude and a lifestyle of worship for this to work. Amen? All right, so God's word in Galatians 5.1, I'm going to read a different translation later in this, but it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
So for the sake of freedom, freedom from the law, freedom from the enemy, freedom from bondage, freedom from slavery, it's for freedom that he set us free. What are we being free? We're free from all the other stuff that stops us from living out our identity in Christ, who God actually created us to be. So it says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Some other translations say by slavery to the law. So you're free from having to try to follow all of these rules that we could never successfully follow. And now we're free. We have a free will to follow the Holy Spirit. As we're following him, we're following the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And that's what brings lasting transformation. I don't know if I said it last Wednesday or last Sunday. We've said it tons of times. That transformation comes from relationship, not roles. You know, I, I, I notice, I have to admit, like even in my own prayer time, <clears throat> I can like almost hold a business meeting with Jesus. Like I only have so much time. So I need an answer of, you know, where we're going in the next sermon series and what are we supposed to do this Sunday night and this and this and this. And it's seeking the Lord for answers, but it can actually turn it into like, you give me the rule to follow and then I'll follow it. Y'all don't want to admit that? Fine, I'm the only person that does that. All of you just rest in his presence. And, but if I don't watch myself, I can have the tendency to do that. It's like, just go to him to get a bunch of answers. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, just, I literally had an agenda. I can go from like one of our team meetings, you know, to a, a meeting with him that I, I just have all, all these things. That's completely not what following the spirit is. It's not going to bring transformation. So he set us free for the sake of freedom. So we're no longer under, under that. All right, let's tear into Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua uh, three, just for a little bit, four, and then into uh, five. This is all dealing with the acceleration that's bringing alignment and how that alignment brings transformation to our lives. So we know, uh, starting at verse 15, that it was harvest season. Remember from Sunday, the Jordan River was overflowing at its banks. As soon as the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of the Lord, touched the water, the water uh, south just continued to flow into the Dead Sea. And then it said uh, that the water north of it, it backed up a great distance away at a town called Adam. So what happens is the presence of God came. It wasn't just the priest. I mean, it was the priest's faith, basically, that touched that. But it was the presence of God that was there that changed that circumstance. So if I have to think about that, like it wasn't a role that, that stopped the water. It wasn't a role that got them through. It wasn't a law. It was the very presence of God being hosted on the Ark of the Covenant that changed the circumstances. So if we have to think like, okay, I want to be transformed greater and greater. And I know, you know, we have very committed Christians in the room tonight, uh, possibly even watching online. But we, we have to admit there's still areas of a heart that could be changed and transformed. So I don't want to fall into like, what's the formula, God? I have to realize if circumstances change when the presence of God showed up, then I want to be able to be a lot more presence-based than I am role-based. So I'm not asking God, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? But actually just experiencing his presence and let him change us from the inside out. So in verse 17, it says, the priests who were carrying the ark of the, of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed. As the people passed by, they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan River. You know, what I, I was reminded of uh, just looking at these verses again, even after Sunday, is like the Lord is very patient with us. His presence is patient. Like those priests weren't like, hurry up, hurry up, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? 
So we're, if we're aggressive at growing, then he'll, he'll, he'll be there. If we're slow, he's going to be patient with us. He's not going to force us into something that we're not ready to bear on our own. So in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, it says, When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up and place them where you will camp tonight. So I was just looking at like, why did they take those stones right from where the priests were standing? I feel like the Lord was saying like, the Lord wants us to remember his presence over his actions. So when we are faced with another impossibility, like we come to our, the next river that's overflowing, that looks completely and utterly impossible, we're going to remember, oh, his presence is what happened. Because it wasn't, like even if, they, even if they took those rocks from the beginning where the priests first stepped in, they may have remembered, oh my goodness, I remember that water stopping and the water flowing down. I remember the dry bed. But what are they going to remember every time they looked at those stones? That came from the feet of the priests that were holding the Ark of the Covenant. Those stones came from where the very presence of God was as we passed. I was like, that's what I want to remember. Because again, then, if we, re- if we set up these memorials like they were commanded to do, then we're going to remember his presence over his actions. Yes, write down and record what the Lord's doing in very specific things. So when you run into that, you'll have faith to, to believe for it again. But more than that, if you believe in his presence, his presence is going to change this circumstance. And it's going, I believe that that's going to cause greater transformation than saying, well, he stopped the river, but I'm not sure if he can do this. No, 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 no. The stones came from his presence. His presence delivered them. Now his presence is bringing them into the promised land. That's transformation, right? It's, a, it's, it's remembering. Listen, it could have been the priests that did it, but it wasn't. It could have been the people that did it, but it wasn't. It could have been all these other things. But there to remember, it wasn't by might. It wasn't by power. It wasn't by human effort. It wasn't by any of those things. It was the presence of God that brought the transformation into their lives. So in verse four, it says, Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. And he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord, your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them this. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing. Now, I just said, remember his presence over his actions. I believe that's going to bring greater transformation than just remembering the things that he's done. Look what Joshua says. They're going to remind us that the river stopped flowing. But when? It says, when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. So you're remembering a great act of the Lord, but it's still tied to, remember folks, his presence was here. It was the Ark of the Lord, it was the Ark of the Lord's Covenant that actually entered into the water that stopped the water from flowing. So yes, remember the acts. Yes, remember the actions. Yes, remember the moments. But if nothing else, remember his presence was with you in the past. He will absolutely be with you in the future. He could be with you, like I said, when you don't want to be transformed, but you know you have to be. So you ask the Lord to purify you of every sinful nature, every vice, every stronghold, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, I think it would be weird if we like started grabbing stones and setting them up in our yard. Like people might think that you're, I mean, you can do it, but people might think you're weird. <laughs> so I'm not like a great journaler. I don't keep like tons of notes, but I would, I would suggest to you that your memorial stones is a journal. Because there have been times before like healing services or times where we're going to pray with people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'll just think like, I'm insufficient. Uh, It's not going to happen. Maybe nobody will get healed this time. Maybe nobody will get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I will absolutely go back. Uh, If I feel like I don't, I don't have, you know, my, my way or whatever, I'll go back and look at prophetic words that were over my life, over our lives, over the church's life. So I believe that that's the same thing. When the children walked past, when future generations walked past, hey, daddy, hey, mommy, what in the world is this big pile of stones? Let me tell you about the time, (laughs) you know, when God led us across. How did that happen? It's as soon as the Ark of the Covenant. What was the Ark of the Covenant again? The presence of God. So like when they got discouraged, they had that, that, that thing to go back to. Maybe it is like a physical location for you. Maybe you got touched by God in a church or, you know, somewhere else that you could drive to and just sit there. But I would encourage you to keep a journal, maybe not a daily one, but as the Lord's working, if you're actually recording, if you're intentional about recording the acts of the Lord based on what he's doing through his presence, you will actually, you'll you'll identify that there are more miracles happening in your life than you think. Instead of like, you know, you're just draining another day. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me today. If you're, if you're actually thinking, like, what, should I, what can I write down from the last week, last month, whatever? Again, I don't do it daily by any means. Uh, but, but I believe we're setting up memorial stones to remember the works of the Lord in our life. And I believe that that absolutely brings transformation. Because you're thinking, wow, I was aligned back then. I've got to get myself realigned with where I was and how he moved. And I want him to move that way again to think about what he's done. In verse eight, he says, so the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night uh, and constructed the memorial there. Verse 10, the priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. Like, I wonder if some of those guys were nervous. They're like in the middle and they're looking at this huge wall cities away of all the water. And I I would be booking it across too. (laughs) It says, and when everyone was safely uh, on the other side, the priests crossed over uh, the Ark of the or the Ark, cross over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. So look what in verse 10, where it says that the ark stood in the middle of the river until what happened? If anybody has their their Bible open. All All of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. So when I look at this, I think of this, the Lord's presence is going to be with you but he's not going to move forward until you've completed what he's asking you to do in this current season. We try to step out of stuff too quick and we try to step ahead and we're like, oh, I'm going to accelerate, so I'm going. But we like, forget like we're supposed to be going with him. So the presence of God did not move from that place until all the commands were finished, were completed. 
So again, this isn't role-based. It's not legalism. It's not law-driven. It's just this. The Lord is giving us commands. The Lord is giving us instructions, and he's telling us how to lead our lives and run our lives. He's saying, I'm here, and I'll continue to be here until you finish this season of your life. Some people would say, well, I, keep, I continue to fail this same test, and the Lord keeps giving them to me over and over again. That kind of distorts my mind, because when I think of tests, you know, I, I think of like, they're trying to find out what I don't know. That's not how a test is designed. A test is designed to figure out what you do know. So it's not like a mad, angry teacher God, like, I'm testing you in this again. No, he's like, hey, okay, so I've given you this knowledge. You know it from my word. Let's take a step in this. Do you know this yet? Yes, I know this. I know this. I don't know this. I don't know this. I'm being sloppy with this. I'm not stewarding myself with this, and I'm out of alignment over here. Okay, I love you. My mercies are new every morning. My grace will continue to pour over you, but I'm going to stay right here until we have this figured out. Well, that's mean of God. Why doesn't he move forward? We want to move forward because he doesn't want you to get crushed under what is ahead of you. So we think it's his punishment. It's his grace. Trust me. I think it was in, I don't know, 2008 or 2009, I received a prophetic word about things that would happen. And like, I thought this was, it was like the first like real prophetic, maybe it was in 2006. I don't remember. It was like the first like big detailed prophetic word that I like really received in my heart. And I thought this thing was going to like come to pass in like the next six weeks. Like I started living up to this pressure. When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And then the Lord taught me like, I like this thing will come to pass when you are spiritually mature enough to handle it. And it's not, it's not because he's, he's babying us. He's saying, I want you to walk this thing out with precision, with effectiveness, with efficiency. So because of that, the presence of the Lord will stay in the Jordan River until all of the commands he's given to you in this season are fulfilled, so to speak. And you're prepared, you're ready. And then he's like, let's go. Let's move on. Let's go attack the next enemy. Let's go overcome. Let's go, let's, let's have victory in the next territory. So if you feel like you're not moving forward, it might be misalignment. It might just be the Lord just still teaching you things. Ask him, dialogue with him. He'll tell you. So it says in verse 19, the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of the Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the stones taken from the Jordan River. Now, I've, I've read a lot about Gilgal. There are some studies that show that, it, that there could have been multiple places called that, though most theologians believe that a lot of spiritual activity in the Old Testament that is mentioned in Gilgal is the same location. Uh, it can mean circle of stones or rolled stones. Again, there's some different, uh, different studies on what it exactly means, but it's, it's talking about stones, rolled stones, piled up stones, and so on. So if you think about this, this was the place where the Israelites first rested their heads in the promised land. So they show up, they cross, huge miracle. Very first night they camp there. This is the place where the memorial set up. They rested. This is the first night in their home. When I was reading this, I was like, okay, this is like the museum. This is where the parents are going to bring back their kids and say, like at harvest season, you see all this water? Kids, you'll never guess. Let me tell you about this pile of stones. And then I started thinking about Saul. Back in 1 Samuel, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14, it says, Samuel, who was the prophet, said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. 
They all went to Gilgal in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, and they made Saul their king. Like, that's pretty cool. God didn't want them to have a king. If you remember that, God wanted to be their king. They wanted it. He says, all right, I'll give it to you. But he chose Gilgal to do it. So now you have this place. I wonder if it even happened close to like where the the 12 stones, where the memorial was. You have this memorial of all that God's done, all that God has done to bring them into this promised land. Now you have Saul becoming king here. That's, That's chapter 11. Chapter 13, we talked about this in the fall. What happens at Gilgal? Saul stays at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed. Samuel doesn't show up. I'm paraphrasing, if you can notice. So he demanded, bring me the burnt and the peace offerings. Saul sacrificed the burnt, and the, just the burnt offering. He didn't sacrifice the peace, if you remember that. Samuel shows up, of course, right as soon as Saul does this and says, what have you done? Because of Saul's disobedience, he lost the kingdom. That's amazing to me that, the, like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself this week, did, how many times did Saul walk past these rocks? Like, how many times did he see this? And then he's there and he's crowned in this location that, with, at least within the city limits, these rocks are a reminder that the presence of God is absolutely going to give them victory, miracles, signs, wonders, blessing, provision, abundance, all that stuff. And it's in that same city that he is scared to death and does something on his own instead of just remembering those rocks. So that was a misalignment. And I just wonder how close he was to that. You know, think about like, wow, like God's probably like, hey, just like walk down the road and just look and see, what, see, just remember what I've done. And maybe there'll be a little bit more alignment. Maybe there'll be a little bit more transformation and maybe you'll wait for Samuel to come. So I feel like it's extremely important. Set up memorials. They're going to bring future transformations. Set up memorials now of when he's bringing alignment into your life and when transformation's happening, and it will help you later on. I believe your past alignment, like when you can remember, wow, this is what was happening in my life. This is when God showed up. What was it? Okay, I was, I was in the right mind. I had forgiven some people. Like you can actually start to retrack how your life was aligned at that time if you set these memorials up. And maybe the Holy Spirit will just be able to use it and say, you know what? You're just not following me here. You fell back into the trap of bitterness. You're starting to get critical again. Like he'll reveal these things to you if you just take time at these memorial sites. And I I do, I absolutely believe it's gonna bring transformation. So Joshua chapter five says, when all all the Amorite kings West of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan so the people of, the Israel, could, of Israel could cross. They lost heart. They were paralyzed with fear because of them. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, <clears throat> make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at that really long thing that I do not know how to pronounce. I don't want to picture this too much. I don't know how long it took. I'm sure it was painful and messy. And for as much as I would desire to not talk about circumcision, 
I think this is a very key point of a sign that they are being even more transformed and more aligned than even when they crossed the Jordan River. See what happened? They were freed from slavery. They were in a preparation season. They were brought into abundance, but now they were being marked as God's people so they could receive by faith all that God had for them. So I want to read a couple more verses about how, why. Verse four, it says, Joshua had to circumcise them because all of the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Why? Disobedience, out of alignment. It says, those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The land the Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died for they disobeyed the Lord and the Lord vowed he would not let them to enter the land. Verse seven. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places. For they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. So I was just doing some study like biblical religious circumcision. It says, from the beginning, sharp knives were made from flints that were used, since flint maintained a superior edge. It says, for this reason, the flint instruments uh, for the purpose of circumcision endured for centuries after the beginning of the Iron Age in 1200 BC. Traditionally, the head of the household administered this rite in Israel. The Israelites' circumcision was a religious rite and was intended to mark the beginning of the covenant for Abraham's descendants. So circumcision, it's a cutting away of the flesh. It's a removal of what is not necessary for godly living. It was a symbol, a physical symbol of a spiritual reality that these people were God's children, God's chosen. I don't know why he chose that physical act, but if you see the physical act as a cutting away of the flesh, the spiritual act is a cutting away at the heart so that only the pure remains. It's a cutting away of everything that's unrefined, that's unsanctified, that's unholy, so that what you have left is a heart bare before the Lord to use as he would want to. You guys all right? You're just really uncomfortable I'm talking about circumcision. Like not smiling at all anymore. <laughs> Verse nine says something interesting. It says this. The Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. They have been out of slavery for 40 years. Like why? You would think like, week two or three in the desert, you know, when they made the tabernacle and they were worshiping, you would think that that shame would be completely rolled away. But it wasn't until they were in the promised land, the men were circumcised, that that shame was rolled away. So what happened? I started looking back at when God made the covenant with Abram, what was included in this covenant? Back in Genesis 17, 9, it says, your responsibility... This is God to Abraham. 
Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of the foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Verse 14, this is what they would have been taught sometime throughout the wilderness about Abraham and the covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. So every time that these boys are growing up and they're learning about Father Abraham, Father Abraham, amen, he's, that's right. They're singing the song, walking across the desert. They're being taught about this covenant and every time that they look at their bodies, they're reminded of this. I don't have the sign marking that this covenant is mine. In fact, God says, if you're not marked by that, if you're not circumcised, the, the, the covenant included, you will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. So circumcision was a sign that they belonged, that they were aligned, that they were advancing, that they were accelerating. And I believe when they were looking and they're, they're thinking, this has not happened to me yet, this has not happened to me yet, yes, they're free from slavery, but they're still living in the shame that they're not walking in full covenant right. Now they're in the promised land about to receive the abundance and yet they still don't have the mark. They're still not circumcised. And I... I think that this applies, I know that this applies in our life. We're born again, but we're still not by faith walking in the covenant promises that God has for us. So then the devil just pours shame over us. See, you're a Christian, but look at what you're doing here. Look at what you're doing here. And look at what you're doing here. We believe those lies. And then sometimes we just choose to live in sin. We choose to live with habits and, and you know, uh, perpetual um, thoughts and so on that aren't of our identity. So then what happens? Shame comes in because we're not circumcised at the heart. So these, these men are completely free from slavery. They're in the promised land. And this day, when they had the physical circumcision, which represented the spiritual position, they were, their shame was rolled away. With like three minutes left, I'm going to give you the New Testament reality of circumcision. In Romans 2, 25, do you understand, are you following this, how circumcision leads to alignment of your heart, and that alignment is leading to transformation? It says, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision only has value if you obey God's laws. This is Romans 2, 25. If you don't obey God's laws, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. Verse 28, for you are not a true Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. So now there's a whole new reality in the New Testament. It's not about skin. It's not about a ceremony. In verse 29, it says, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. 
So you go, well, I'm not sure what needs circumcised from my heart, and I'm not sure if my heart is fully after him. Just check out Galatians chapter 5, when Paul's talking about acts of the flesh that will destroy you and fruit of the Spirit. Because we're not producing the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing that fruit in our lives. So you can use that as a gauge. You say, well, geez, I'm not some dirty, rotten sinner. Okay, jealousy and envy are listed there. Like you don't have to cheat on your taxes to fall short. Anger, fits of rage, all that stuff. If you're identifying things in the acts of the flesh, ask the Lord to continue to produce more of the fruit of the spirit in your life. And you know that you'll be receiving what is the true circumcision, which is a change of heart produced by the spirit. It says, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. I thought that was interesting. That circumcision of the heart, like giving the Lord your entire heart and asking him to purify every, every dark corner of your heart actually removes the fear of man also. That's pretty neat. Like when you're cutting that stuff off, now you're not trying to perform for somebody else. You're not walking in fear. You're not thinking, okay, I have to act this way and laugh at this joke and do this thing to fit in. No, I'm like fully yours. My heart is circumcised before you. And now you're like, you're not worried about what anybody else thinks. I thought that was pretty cool. Romans 4, 9, it says, this is this blessing. Is this blessing only for the Jews or it also, is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Talking about physical. It says, well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous because of faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Does anybody know? It was before. It says, clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. I believe that faith is the New Testament version of the flint knife in the Old Testament. Like we have faith that the Holy Spirit is going to circumcise our heart and now that allows cutting to happen. If we believe that we're born again, but he truly can't transform us, you're always going to have the issue, you know, with anger. You're always going to have the issue with pornography. You're always going to have the issue with lying, whatever it is, that you don't have faith that he can actually circumcise your entire heart. So I believe faith actually puts that scalpel to work. I believe that it's happening. Okay. The Lord's saying it's happening now. You're believing something before you see it. In verse 11, it says, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. They were counted righteous because of their faith. And I'll close with Colossians 2, 11. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. This is one aspect of the New Living Translation that I don't agree with, is that it uses sinful nature uh, in certain areas where it should be acts of the flesh, meaning your propensity to sin, your natural human flesh that desires to sin. Scripture is quite clear that your sinful nature, along with its passions and desires, were nailed to the cross. 
So I don't believe I'm carrying and lugging around a sinful nature, though my flesh still desires to do what the sinful nature once did. Does that make any sense? Just shake your head. If you believe you're walking around with a renewed nature and a renewed spirit and this heavy sinful nature tagging along, you're, you're, you're going to believe a lie. You're going, we've talked about it before, you're going to hang out at a grave in which you were buried a long time ago. And you'll just keep resurrecting that thing. But the Bible's clear, it was nailed to the cross. Whatever day it was, um, when it was talking about producing the fruit of the Spirit, it may have just been yesterday in our prayer focus, I was reading through, uh, no, I was reading through Galatians, and um, I think it's right after the fruit of the Spirit, a few verses, where it talks about, it wasn't just your sinful nature, but it was its passions and desires. And that was like, wow, I've never seen that before. We believe our sinful nature was nailed to the cross but we're just always going to have to live with these sinful passions and desires, and we're always going to want to go the wrong way. What if we actually put our faith in the fact that those passions and desires of your sinful nature were nailed to the cross too? In fact, I'm talking about two different scriptures right now. I'm not going to reference them because I don't have them written down. I don't know the, the address. But when it's talking about our sinful nature uh, being nailed to the cross, it's Christ who nailed our sinful nature to the cross. He made a skeptical of his enemy in public. But in, in Galatians, it's talking about that we nailed those passions and desires. So like we, by faith, are saying, wait a minute, if you're bearing my sinful nature, you can take the passions and desires that go with them too. I think that's awesome. I think we can start living by faith that, wait, I'm asking you to circumcise my entire heart so like, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not going to like live in this struggle of the flesh. Yes, when the attack comes, you deal with it. I'm not saying like you're just going to walk on a cloud the rest of your life. But we can put faith in the fact that sinful nature's dead, crucified. Passions and desires of the flesh, of the sinful nature, dead, crucified, nailed to the cross. I'm by faith going to produce fruit of the Spirit, because I'm asking the Lord to do a work of the Spirit in my heart by circumcising my heart so that I would have a changed heart fully after Him. Why don't we stand? You guys smile at me one more time. I want you to do that tomorrow morning, no matter what kind of a mood you're in. If you're like all sore and cranky, hair's a meth, breath stinking, I want you just to smile at yourself. Like try it for five seconds. You'll feel really awkward, but you'll feel better too. Just smile at yourself. I choose to be in a good mood today. <laughs> and Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, Father, we, we don't know all the details of why. You chose this physical sign in the old covenant, but we know in the new covenant, you want to circumcise our heart. You want to cut away all of the acts of the flesh. You want to cut away all of our selfish desires. You want to cut away uh, all the things that we look for for our own benefit, not for the benefit of other people. And God, we just pray, we give you again permission to come with your scalpel. We have, actually, we have faith that you're going to do this as we approach our next time in prayer and our next time in the word. We have faith. We step into having faith that your voice, by the voice of the Spirit, you're going to come in and just cut some things away that shouldn't be there and then expose the gold that's in, expose the, the, uh, the potential that's in our heart. Lord, even looking at those, those parts in our heart that do need cut away,
They're hiding our potential. So God, we believe that as you cut and you mold and you, and you craft our heart in a better way, that more of our potential, more of our character, more of our true identity is going to come shining forth because the junk is being removed. Lord, I pray as we read your word, whether it's tonight before bed or tomorrow when we wake up, I pray that you would give us revelation, fresh revelation, fresh insight that would help circumcise our heart. We'd be able to walk purely before you in the calling, the purposes that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great night. Thanks for coming out this evening. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.